0: Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders.
1: Today we're here with Meryl Feinstein. She's the founder of Pasta Social Club and the resident pasta maker for Food52.
2: So welcome to Gourmand, Meryl. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, we're super excited. Um, We'd love to learn a little bit more about where you grew up and how um, food played or pasta played a role in your childhood growing up. Sure. Um, Pasta, aside from eating it regularly,
2: did not (laughs) play much of a role in my childhood. Um, I grew up outside of Washington, DC. I actually grew up in a pretty observant Jewish community. So that really is what played a huge role in my sort of food experiences as a kid. Um, We would, my family and our neighboring families would kind of go to each other's houses Every Friday night for Shabbat dinner, we would all cook these incredible, huge meals. And so it was really a time to kind of unplug, be present, spend time with people you loved and you cared about. It was sort of also before like smartphones were everywhere. <laughs> um, so that really stuck with me. I didn't, you know, spend my weekends really going out as much as spending time with family and friends. So um, I would say, that had a lot to do with my thoughts around pasta social club way later. <laughs> just in terms of finding, you know, a way to bring people together, sort of unplug and meet meet new people over food. Um, so Shabbat is kind of what started that, that for me. Um, but yeah, in terms of the pasta piece, that came that came later. I would love to say that I was like by my grandmother's side making pasta as a kid, but <laughs> that's just a lie. <laughs> Yeah, no,
1: definitely. Um, I, my family is half Chinese and half Jewish. So we definitely those like kind of food traditions of around the table, both for Shabbats and then also for kind of our Chinese meals definitely have been a big part of my childhood as well.
2: That is amazing. What was your favorite Shabbat food? Um, that is a
1: hard question. Um, my favorite food the thing, yeah, <laughs> it's like the favorite, kind of Jewish foods that I grew up with were probably more so what we made for the high holidays and things. Um, my mom and grandmother's brisket, which I recreated this year for Rosh Hashanah. Um, and yeah, my mom's matzah ball soup,
2: always the best.
1: Um, what were some of your favorites?
2: Oh, that, I mean, matzah ball soup for sure. Um, my, so my grandmother actually made, uh, a version of challah french toast uh after you know shabbat that was more like <laughs> very undercooked custard bread <laughs> than like what challah french toast is probably supposed to be uh looking back i probably shouldn't have eaten that much mostly raw egg, but <laughs> it was really soft and like as a kid i was like this is amazing um so that's like one of the key sort of Jewish foods that stuck out with me, but she also had a noodle kugel recipe that my mom made for um, breaking the fast after Yom Kippur. Um, So again, pasta, carbs, it was all very present in my life. (laughs) Yeah. So I was
1: reading that your kind of food career was not your first career and that you studied, I think, art history, both undergrad and grad. I would also love to hear about that and your interest in in art in that first kind of stage of your career um I'm studying art actually at Penn so it kind of
2: really struck a chord with me yeah it sounds like we might be the same Um, I know we might be the same person (laughs) um yeah so when I was really young I (laughs) I basically started taking art lessons as a kid I I in kindergarten we had to make um caterpillars out of construction paper circles and everyone made their caterpillar and then drew a smiley face on it, right? I drew the smiley face in profile view, which apparently was like absolutely mind blowing for like a four-year-old child. (laughs) So my parents were like, Oh, you're going to art classes immediately. Um, So I did studio art actually most of my childhood. uh, And I thought that's what I was gonna continue to do in college. Um, So I actually submitted uh, like portfolio to uh, when I was doing college applications (laughs) after I started university I realized I liked learning about other people's art more than making my own Um, so. I, uh, I started taking more art history classes. I also was, uh, I minored in anthropology. So I was just really interested in how art. Good. Yeah, okay, great. We're, we're all in good company. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I really liked how art was sort of a window into past cultures more than anything else. And I am kind of a history nerd in that respect. Um, So yeah, I I loved studying art history. Absolutely no regrets. I thought I wanted to be a museum curator. So after that, I went to the Courtauld Institute of Art in London, which um, is sort of like one of the more prestigious art history only schools that you can find. Um, And I did a master's degree there um, as people who are studying art probably know if you want a career in the field oftentimes you're thinking maybe phd um i was not ready to take that leap i didn't have um, a period of art that i was so obsessed with that i could spend seven years studying and writing about it i i focused on italian renaissance art in in college but i was like I can't do like ancient Egyptian boats like for seven years. So <laughs> I did a master's instead. And the master's I did was actually a focus in uh, curation, whatever that really means. It was more like a gap year kind of an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. Uh, it was so much fun to kind of be abroad and, and meet new people. And um, a lot of my experiences in London were, were food focused <laughs> ultimately. Um, And then when I came back to the U.S., I found that museum jobs were very few and far between. So I ended up doing PR for art museums instead. So I was still working in the art sector. Uh, My clients were a lot of the big museums in New York um, and art fairs and things like that. Um, So it still felt like I was close to the subject matter, but kind of had a more (laughs) like, a job with more transferable skills, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did that for about five years. I worked at a couple of different agencies in New York City. I really enjoyed it, I learned a lot. I think having a corporate job teaches you so many really helpful life skills. Um, just how to write an email and communicate with clients on a professional level is is more invaluable than you'd think, especially in the food industry, when that will really make you stand out. Um, but yeah, after five years, I kind of felt like I knew the ropes, and I was thinking, how am I gonna keep doing this for the rest of my life, or where is this going, more or less? And you know, food had really been that that anchor for me from childhood. It was one of those things. Like I don't know how you feel growing up. You know, maybe in a Jewish community, um, food like is the center of everything, but it's not a career path. <laughs> you you go to college you maybe get a graduate degree and then you get a job that's the expectation not to say you know I couldn't have said oh I'm going to culinary school and people would have shunned me but uh it was just not on my radar so um once I was sort of out of the house I was married um I sort of on my own independent like financially culinary school was more and more appealing because everything I did in my spare time, everything I thought about, everything I dreamed about was about food. Um, So that's sort of when I made the leap, which was about almost three years ago at this point. So still pretty new.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I could totally relate and probably Elena too, like food is the center (laughs) of what we think about. We wake up, we're like, what are we going to eat today? When we travel, it's like, where are we going to eat? We plan around restaurants. Um, so can you tell us about, I guess, that shift between, um, the PR job and, um, starting pasta social club or going into the culinary world, like what was that transition like? And, um, what, what did you do?
2: Yeah. Um, you you reminded me of something, which is my my husband and I planned our entire honeymoon around one restaurant. <laughs> so I feel you on that. Um, Asteria Francescana in Modena. That's,
0: that's like my dream restaurant. Yeah. Um, I would plan <laughs> a whole trip around it. Like one time I stayed up till like, it, it was like a weird time because it, it's like they release it in Italian time. And like I stayed yes, up do. for like a long time and I tried to get the reservation and I was like, a day late like they released like a day before (laughs) but it's okay it's still on my bucket list you'll get there I'm sure of it (laughs) was it amazing Um, it was it was
2: just the whole thing was like a magical experience even seeing like the exterior when you've seen it you know in various tv shows it's always like oh my gosh but I'll I mean I'll talk more about Modena too because it's sort of where my love of pasta began but Modena is just a wonderful city like A lot of the places I've visited in Italy, you know, feel livable but also very touristy. Modena is very much a livable city. It felt like the people there were actually like going to work and like doing normal life things. Um, And they have some beautiful outdoor markets and like just actually, you know, our favorite eating experiences there was like sitting on the side of the road eating fresh strawberries and like brined anchovies like that was like austria Francescana of was wonderful but like it's those little things that kind of make make a big difference too well i will say my husband played a huge role in encouraging me to finally make that decision um i had been thinking about a supper club sort of shabbat style without being shabbat for a long time for years I would like talk about it with friends I had other friends who started transitioning to the food industry too so that kind of was like seeing how that played out I was like oh this is possible um it really sort of was a, a daydream for a long long time um it came to a point where you know, again, I just didn't really see a long-term future in what I was doing. And I kind of looked at what I was doing in my spare time. It no longer was going to art museums or, you know, nerding out over a painting. It was reading, you know, articles about food. It was cooking and it was eating. That's all I really (laughs) cared about on a day-to-day basis. So it, it really felt like, you know, there was something there. Between when I left my corporate job and started classes. That's when my husband and I traveled to Italy for our honeymoon and we went to Astoria Francescana among many other beautiful places. We were there for a couple of weeks, still the longest vacation I've ever taken. Um, (laughs) But uh, when we were in Modena, we did a a morning of pasta making. Uh, There is a, family there that has been producing balsamic vinegar for centuries, <laughs> as one does. Um, and they uh, sort of offer like hands-on pasta making classes as well. So we spent time with this Italian nonna named Barbara. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> at a place called Acciatia Malagoli Daniele, which is, again, acetaya just means producing balsamic vinegar. Um, And so she sort of taught us how to make pasta dough, how to roll it out by hand. And it was just really therapeutic, really fun, very much arts and crafts, like I used to do when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I found it very like sculptural and like really connected with that experience um so after that i was like okay i'm going to culinary school and i want to focus on pasta so that was kind of when that piece came into it but i had supper club idea much earlier then came the culinary school and then came the pasta and all kind of started to wrap together into one thing over time um of course in culinary school you do pasta for like three days <laughs> so if you're lear- if you want to learn how to make pasta i would say uh certainly you know will teach you the basics maybe, Um, but most of my training was done when I worked in restaurants in Williamsburg. Uh, I worked at Lilia and their sister restaurant, Missy, where I was doing pasta production. So I made like 1600 pieces of tortelli every single day among 10 fresh pastas. That's when you're really gonna, you're gonna learn how to make pasta. (laughs) But um, basically, you know, I was working at Missy for several months, and I was sort of stumbled, well, was introduced to somebody who runs a company in New York called Resident. And Resident is a platform that um, helps up and coming chefs put on supper clubs. So <laughs> when when you think about how to run a supper club, it. You, know, you would hope that everyone would wanna do it. I mean, what is the downside? You get to meet like cool new people, it's a small setting, it's a dinner party and the food is great and everything about it to me just is exactly what I wanna be doing. And it, there's such a dearth of that now. However, <laughs> when you have to run a supper club, you have to think about paying for a venue, you have to think about service staff, you have to think about cutlery. <laughs> Doing all of these like things in New York City is very challenging and very expensive. And for somebody who's in the food industry, resources are very tight. So when something like resident happens, that is just a life changer because they are basically providing all of the resources, the space, um, the service staff that you need. So all you have to do is cook. So. That's what I started doing with a colleague of mine who worked with me at Missy. We hosted a pasta tasting venue in Brooklyn for several months with resident. And it was really when Pasta Social Club started to kind of get off the ground. I should mention that I started the Instagram account months and months before that, when I was working at Lilia, just because I wanted to get the idea into the world, even though I didn't have any money or time to do it. (laughs) Um, So the brand was sort of building before the experience was possible. So if you have an idea, just start doing it, is I guess what I would say about that. Um, It only helped me later on. So yeah, that was sort of the first instance of doing uh, sort of pasta social club inspired events. That's super
1: interesting. I didn't realize you had started the Instagram so far in advance. And I feel like that's great advice for any of our listeners or anyone who is interested in, like has a project they really want to do, but are kind of afraid to start it until they have all the pieces in order. Um,
2: Totally. A hundred percent. And also just think about what you can be consistent with. So Instagram felt like the right platform for me to start to see if I could even keep up with it because all I have to do is write a caption and post a photo. I don't need to have professional level photography. I still take all of my photos on my phone and like it's super manageable. Worst thing that happens is it doesn't work out and you lose interest but the stakes are very low when you're on Instagram. Well, uh, tell
0: us- about like the start of pasta social club what was that it like in the beginning and how has have you seen it grown uh so the hard the hardest part is starting i'm sure this
2: is not news to anyone (laughs) but it it is i think but just remember nobody's looking at you when you start especially when you start you think people are going to care but they do not care they're not going to judge you they're not going to i mean and if they do those people can go somewhere else. Um, so I think that was part of it is sort of realizing, oh, I'm really self-conscious about this, but no one else is looking at you. So that kind of kept me <laughs> from chickening out. Um, and after starting to take risks by going to culinary school, working in restaurants, which I was terrified of doing, taking risks became easier. And I felt like I wanted to continue to challenge myself. And something is Sort of simple as an instagram post like your first one in a a new project seems small but is actually pretty big um i think i there is a very close-knit community of women pasta makers and pasta makers in general on instagram so i quickly was connected with those people and you can find them very easily and they're super wonderful and nice um so really a lot of those early stages was like hanging out with them (laughs) um but you know I can't explain the algorithm on Instagram. Uh, I really cannot. I was fortunate in that some large accounts would repost my photos pretty early on. So accounts like the Feed Feed or Cherry Bomb or Pineapple Collaborative is a good uh, you know, organization for women in food too. And uh, eventually Food 52 started to re- repost my images. And that's really what drove Uh, a lot of my
1: engagement,
2: Um, I will say the biggest jump came during when uh, quarantine started. So I would say... (laughs) in the last year, I've probably well over a hundred thousand followers. So um, when people started staying home and taking on more project cooking, pasta was one of those things. Um, And that's where I really started to see people taking an interest and because they had the time and to make pasta. Pasta, you know, handmade pasta is not instant gratification. That said, you can certainly make fresh pasta on a weeknight but generally it's more of a project. Mm -hmm. Um, So when people had time, people wanted to start following Pasta Instagram accounts. That's the only thing I can, that's the only way I can explain it. I'm curious,
0: do you make pasta every day or how often do you (laughs) make pasta?
2: I would say pretty much every day right now because of the virtual classes that I host. So for the last year, I've been teaching pasta classes online and between Classes that I host for the public, private classes, and corporate classes, I have one, at least one, pretty much every day. I try to give myself one or two days off a week. Wow. <laughs> so even though I don't eat all of the pasta I make, I do make pasta pretty much every day at this point. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you've been able to kind of shift the ethos of that social club setting and that sharing of pasta online? Has it been? I can imagine it's been really difficult to try to, you know, convey that through a virtual setting.
2: Yeah, so the the in-person events, the goal for me is less about the pasta or the food and more about the connections that can be made. Yeah. So those events were either the supper club I mentioned with resident which was me and my co- colleague co- cooking for other people. In Austin I started doing events on my on my own that were kind of half hands-on, so we'd make an element of the pasta, but also very like relaxed where I'd finish cooking for people and they would mostly have time to just hang out and socialize. So again, it was less about the pasta and more about the experience of, of meeting new people. For virtual classes, it's very much, the focus is on how to make pasta, me teaching you how to do something in your home. Um, as it's sadly, Zoom is <laughs> not quite medium for people feeling comfortable to just start talking um there has been a little bit of that and certainly in my private classes i've met a lot of really great people um where we can have more like hangout style (laughs) experiences but um it's definitely much more about the instruction than it is about the connection at this point. So I definitely hope in the future to have a balance of both. I think there are a lot of people who really want to learn how to make pasta. And then there are a lot of people who want to learn how to make pasta, but also meet new people. Um, so I would say moving forward, I think I'll always have a virtual option, but I will definitely try and resume in-person events as soon as that's safe to do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing just how many people um, you've been able to bring together for, over because of pasta, and um, I think that community piece is really, really important. And just so cool to see people to come together during quarantine, have more time to like do these classes or just like meet people who also love food.
2: Yeah, it, it really is, and and it's really. Fun to see people making my recipes too. I think there's been a lot more of that, and that's so gratifying, especially with Food 52 when that when those recipes get so many more eyes on them. Um, and to see how the activity of making pasta is either if you're doing it alone, very therapeutic and gives you some good like self care, <laughs> or you know a way to kind of bond with the people that you're quarantining with. So um, it's really nice to see that too
0: your pastas look so amazing and I'm very I've been traveling but very excited to just like be at home and try one of the recipes um very soon. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I think it should be I want people to know that they don't
2: need any special equipment to make fresh pasta. So if you've never made pasta before or you don't have a pasta machine, that is not that does this not mean you shouldn't try? There are lots of lots of pastas that you can, are rustic, they can roll by hand, that you can use random kitchen objects like a cheese grater or a sushi mat or something to create various pasta shapes. So, you know, it, it does seem intimidating at first. My goal is to change that perception. Um, and part of that is bringing to light all of these pastas that don't require any special tools or fillings or, crazy things that people like look at and they're like no way those are worthwhile for sure (laughs) but there are also there are other places to start when you're making pasta
0: yeah absolutely and starting to wrap up here we are curious if you had um, any advice for students or young people looking to enter food media or looking to do what you do what would you tell them um i would say whether you're looking to do it now,
2: or if you decide to do it later, the it's never too late to start something new. So I'm 30, <laughs> which in the food industry seems old because I used to work alongside like teenagers in the restaurant. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's never too late to change your path. Um, I would say something that has really benefited me is having a niche. It, it, there's a, It's a crowded landscape. There's a lot of people in food, a lot of people who wanna make their mark. Um, I think figuring out what you like to cook the most or what might set you apart and zeroing in on that instead of being a generalist could be very helpful. Certainly it has been for me. Um, There are lots of things that I like to cook, uh, but you don't need to make a food blog about all of them, right? I mean, you can, and I'm sure that will, be delicious. But I think, again, having a focus, figuring out what is most of interest to you, um, and trying things to know what also you don't like doing, because it's equally beneficial to know what doesn't suit you. Um, So I would say just dabble, figure out what you like doing, and sort of a little trial and error, but you don't need to figure it out, and you can always change it later. Yeah, no, great advice. Um, And For our last segment, we
1: like to do what we call a quick fire tasting menu. It's just a few questions, fun questions that we're gonna throw out and just say the first thing that comes to mind. So the first one is what is one
2: kitchen tool that you can't live without? Ooh, kitchen scale will change your life.
0: What's your favorite pasta dish and non-favorite pasta dish to cook right now? Or favorite non-pasta dish? Oh, okay. <laughs> um,
2: my favorite pasta dish, I would say, is cacio e pepe. It's a classic. Um, I, I, my husband and I eat it only on special occasions, so it feels special to us, uh, but it's just always so good. Um, non-pasta dish that I like making. Um, I cook a lot of fish, so um, I've been making a niçoise salad with fresh tuna that I've been really enjoying, trying to keep things a little bit light. <laughs> Mm-hmm. On side, on, with all of the pasta just to balance things out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, most underrated pasta shape? Well, Orchiette is my favorite pasta to make and to eat. And I think it's potentially not underrated, but I also feel like the dried version that you see in the store is so far from the deliciousness of the fresh version that I would 100% give it a try. Um, I would say most dried pastas and fresh pastas are totally different things to me, and I love them both equally for different reasons. But orchiette is one that you should make from scratch if you can. Yeah, I have made that one before, and, and it was are. super fun and delicious. It's, and it's so different because you get this like nice chew to it, as opposed yeah, to the firmer, you know, dried version.
0: Yeah. What's the best pasta tip that uh, you would want to tell people? Almost everything is fixable.
1: That's a great one.
2: <laughs> no, it just, and and it's still pasta. Even if it looks terrible or not what you wanted it to look like, it's still pasta. It's still going to taste good. <laughs>
1: um, and finally, if you had to give a shout out to someone in the food world who's doing something cool right now, who would it be?
2: Um, I have just been connected with a c- company called Cubicucina. And it's run by two women, um, actually one woman, (laughs) I don't know why I said that. Um, And they are importing specialty pasta tools from Italy. And for someone like me who can never get their hands on specialty pasta tools, um, it has been a revelation. Um, So I would say what they're doing is great. They're a new business. And I really hope that they can build and succeed in the future. Well, this was
1: such a pleasure um, to meet you and chat with you about your career and Pasta Social Club and everything you've been doing. So thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us.
2: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to connect over art and anthropology and Shabbat. So yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: And that's a wrap on our episode with Meryl from Pasta Social Club. You can keep up with her and all things pasta at Pasta Social Club on Instagram. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm
1: Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.